0: So um, this morning we are continuing in a sermon series called B. Um, this, this season in the life of the church is called Kingdom Tide. So basically from Pentecost Sunday until we get to Advent, that, that season just before the Christmas season, we will be in this long season called Kingdom Tide where we will rehearse the goodness of God throughout scripture, where we will rehearse how um, Jesus was um, made known as the Messiah through lots of miracles, but also too in the midst of this um, sermon series as we we locate ourselves in scripture, how we are called into particular spiritual practices that look like um, how we reflect God in our personal lives and also how we reflect God in the world. This morning, the passage of scripture that I'm going to read, it's a very short passage from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. It is wedged um, between two other passages that are fairly important. One is um, a string of miracles that Jesus has performed throughout like the, the last three or the, the previous three chapters of Luke's gospel. There's some of the most noteworthy miracles that Jesus has performed in this particular account of Jesus' earthly ministry. And then on the back end of this passage of scripture, that I'm going to read will be when Jesus actually foretells his his crucifixion and his resurrection for the first time to his disciples, who we can understand to be Jesus' friends. Um, They're they're the ones who who journey with him. They know how Jesus eats, the the, the way that he walks, um, if he picks things up with his right hand or if he's inclined to pick things up with his left hand. These are individuals who have had close access to his life. And here it is that Jesus has performed all of these great miracles and then we have the passage of scripture that i'm going to read and then he tells them but there's going to come a time when i'm going to no longer be with you so hear now these words in luke chapter 9 verses 18 through 20 and it says this that once when jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him he asked them who do the crowd say that i am and they answered John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So just before we took shelter in place, remember when we had to take shelter in place? (laughs) I like to always remind us of these things. Just before we took shelter in place, actually February of 2020, I had taken on a new therapist. Um, So it it was totally God-timed and um, God-breathed because in essence, this um, person has journeyed with me over the past two years. And let me just say, I have needed a therapist to journey with me over the past two years. And one thing about my therapist is that she has a way of calling me out on my stuff in one of the most, like, um, artful, um, cool, diplomatic ways. It's not her commentary that gets me. It's oftentimes the questions that she will ask me. And she has this wonderful habit of asking me two questions at a time. One question to basically kind of like open myself up, or as some people like to say to prime the pump, and then the second question kind of goes for the like, yeah, Lisa, stop playing with me. So, for example, one time she asked me, this was kind of early on actually in in Shelter-in-Place, Lisa, how did you feel when you wrote that letter? Did you feel like you know your boundaries were clear when you wrote that letter? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, the boundaries were so clear as I was writing, inspired by the most high God, you know? A little bit of of space. Second question. So when you wrote that letter, was it a goodbye or a last attempt? Do I really need you to be dancing on my neck right now, therapist? There's something about the second question that she asks me that gets to a deeper thing. It's usually that second question that reveals what I believe or don't believe about myself. It's usually the second question that unearths if I'm being honest or if I'm being incredibly, radically honest. It's usually the second question that helps me to even sometimes unearth my relationship or how I see God at work in my life or how I do not feel God at work in my life. The second question that she typically asks me is one that gets to a deeper thing. It is the question that really asks me to be honest. Jesus asks a lot of questions in his ministry. Who do they say the Son of Man is? Do you wanna be made well? Why are you troubled and do doubts arise in your hearts? But in this particular moment in Jesus's ministry, in this particular moment with Jesus's disciples, Jesus's friends, Jesus asks those double questions. One question to kind of prime the pump, who do the crowds say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And then Jesus asks the second question, the question that gets to the deeper thing. But who do you say that I am? Not what you hear third hand or not all the murmuring or the loud voices. Not the people who are whispering after there's been a miracle. I want to know, but who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus makes this move in Luke chapter 9, and like I said, it's wedged between two particular moments in Jesus' ministry and life that are important to note. Just before Jesus has this moment of prayer, Jesus had um, uh, basically enacted feeding the 5,000. Jesus is with a large crowd that they follow the disciples. Jesus is preaching and teaching and talking about the repentance of sin and what it might look like for them to have life and life more abundantly. And then there's a food crisis. There's a hunger crisis. You have all of these people who have come to the countryside with Jesus and there is nowhere for them to get food. And people begin to, you know, share their hangriness in the moment. But Jesus being so attentive to our needs tells the people to sit down. And there's a miracle where every single person, 5,000 plus, are fed. And there's even some left over. And then, we don't know how much time has lapsed, but we hear then that Jesus is now praying, which I actually think is not um, an insignificant thing for us to note. It's oftentimes when Jesus has poured out great power or when Jesus is gaining the most notoriety that Jesus then goes to a deserted place. And Jesus doesn't just go to a deserted place. Jesus typically goes to a deserted place to pray. Now I want to, um, this is kind of an aside, but I want want to stop here really quickly because I think it's a beautiful thing for us to take notice of in Jesus' life. Have you ever had like the greatest presentation of like of your lifetime at work Like just a moment when you thought you were straight doing the thing, and everyone was telling you like you are the best thing since sliced bread or a bag of Lay's potato chips, and you are feeling like your best self, and then all of a sudden, you begin to ask yourself, oh my gosh, but what if I'm not able to do that same thing the next day? You know how you feel great in the moment, but then you start to think, but if everyone now has this expectation that I'm going to like, you know, like come with a, you know, and what if, and then to find Jesus praying after some of his greatest miracles is a reminder to me that when we get quiet, we get to hear again the voice of God reminding us who we are, not because of what we do, but because of who we are. So I wonder in that moment when Jesus, after literally these string of miracles, of raising those who were sick, of feeding the multitude, 5,000 individuals, that Jesus has to get quiet to hear the still small voice of God. Remember in Laura's sermon, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And you know what? When God said that, God, God, God the creator said that to Jesus, it was before Jesus had ever worked a miracle In that passage of scripture, in, in, in Mark's gospel, also in Matthew's gospel, when, when the heavens open up and, and Jesus says, or God says to, to Christ, you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. It was before there was ever a miracle. So when Jesus stops to pray, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm seated because this is a teaching moment. When Jesus stops to pray, maybe it's just to remind us, wait a minute, God, I got to remind myself of who I am. I've done all these things and I'm pretty sure people are going to be like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, I need to be reminded. That was the aside. Might you also too in those glorious moments or when people come with critique that doesn't sit right with you. Stop to listen to the voice that matters above all voices. You are God's beloved with whom God is well pleased before you ever do boop. So, Jesus has now done this great miracle, and he is praying, and it's only Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus asked the disciples this question, who do the crowds say that I am? I think it's really interesting that Jesus wants to know, because all these crowds have been following, who do the crowds say that I am? And the disciples say to him, some people think that you are John the Baptist, because at this point in time, John the Baptist had lost his life. Some of you think you are Elijah, like you have come back to life, this you know, great prophet who is oftentimes mentioned in the Old Testament. Others believe that you might be any one of the prophets who have arisen, like you are basically the reincarnate version of any of these prophets. Which would not be a bad thing if Jesus had been any of these individuals because all of them had had beautiful earthly ministries. In their prophetic ministries, many began to believe in the goodness of the God who created the heavens and the earth. They were all powerful individuals. But the second question, but who do you say that I am? How do you experience me? What do you see in me? What do you know of me? Where have I been at work in your life when we are sitting together having a meal? Where have I been at work in your life when we are healing together? Where have I been at work in your life when I am offering up, blessed are those who are poor For they shall inherit the kingdom of God. When do my words, as your friend, as your rabbi, as your teacher, when do they land someplace in the gentle place of your heart that we're not just simply doing work together, but I get to be something for you. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who oftentimes is the first one to speak, Peter comes with a response. You are the Messiah. Now, let's be clear. I do not believe that when Jesus asked the question, but who do you say that I am, that Jesus was wanting his disciples to hype him up or that I was coming out of a place of insecurity or that Jesus needs like, you know, the disciples to like, no, more, more, more. I don't think, I, I want to use pastoral license, but, but honestly, very much connected to this text, I do not believe this is what Jesus's um, reasoning was. But it makes more sense that as Jesus has done these great miracles, and as Jesus is about to tell his disciples, guess what, I'm going to be crucified, you are going to see me experience one of the most gruesome deaths by the nation state. That maybe Jesus in this moment wants to say, I know you get to see me do all these things for the crowds. I know you get to see me say all these things to the crowds. I know you get to see how I show up for the crowds, but I want to know what it also means for you. Like, do do you know that I also show up for you? That the healing for the crowds is healing for you, that the words of blessing for the crowds are also blessing for you, that the ways in which I want people to have life and life more abundantly, you who are closest around me, those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus, basically disciples... Who am I for you? Peter responds, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Messiah being translated the one who saves or the one who's going to, you know, come and deliver us. Which may be in that moment what Peter is saying, Jesus, I see how you saved me from my ego. Jesus, I see how you've saved me from myself. Jesus, I see how you've saved me from my sometiminess, because ooh, Peter can be sometimey. Jesus, I see how you saved me from my hypocrisy. Jesus, I see how you've saved me from my cowardice. Jesus, I see how you've saved me from always wanting to be known as, ranking up here and not as one who might be wholly humble. Jesus, I see how you just rescue me from the things that I need to be rescued from. This is how Peter responds to who Jesus is to him. I promise I'm not trying to live forever within a pandemic-shaped imagination. when I talk about what it's meant for us to live in the, the last two years. I don't want you to think that I'm stuck in time. I just don't want us to think that this time has meant nothing for us. And, and, and the tools of the empire is always to make it seem like, oh, the pandemic was a blip on the radar screen, like, like let's just get back to something. Um, and I think that uh, an act of resistance is no over and over and over and over again to point out that something has happened to us and in the world and in us and through us because of this time. And that God has been faithful. So I want to couch these two questions within this liminal space that we have been living in in the midst of a pandemic. For you, what have you heard the crowd say about who Jesus is? Oh, and the crowd's got a lot of things to say about who Jesus is. <laughs> and But who do you say? I think this question is important for us in this season. Who do the crowds say that I am? Because there are moments when the crowds might get it right. Jesus is one who shows up in communities. Jesus is one who sustains us. Jesus is one who provides for us. Jesus takes care of us. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is one who uh, is for justice and liberation. Okay, if the crowds, that's good, if they're saying those things. But we also know that sometimes the crowds be getting it wrong. When the crowds declare that Jesus is shaped by the power over and not power with, the crowds are getting it wrong. When the crowds say that Jesus looks like the picture of Christian nationalism, the crowds are getting it wrong. When they make Jesus look like literally the poster child of empire, One who doesn't care if some people die and some people live. The crowds are getting it wrong. So sometimes when Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? It is our moment to say, let me tell you who I know Jesus to be. This Jesus who says, what does it gain you? You know, profit you if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul, hey! When the world says, no, 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 this is what Jesus looks like and that Jesus cosigns things that actually are about death dealing, you can say, no, Jesus told me plainly, John ten ten. the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy and that's not my life But I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly Who do I say Jesus is Jesus is one who is always yoked to life and only life and life hard stop But also in this liminal space I want to be pastoral enough to recognize that when Jesus turns to us and asks us, but who do you say that I am? That if this has been a season of spiritual dryness, if it has been a season where it's been so difficult to pray, if the very idea of coming to church you have to do all this like work just to kind of like get up out of the house and get in the car to find yourself in this place. If all of the one-liners that people used to say about how God operates and how God shows up, it just feels like they don't land the way they used to land. Sometimes hearing that voice of God say, but who do you say that I am? Sometimes we're like, God, you feel so far away. God, you're the one who everyone says that you are with me, and yet I feel like I don't know if you are for me. Sometimes the question invites us into that risky practice of being honest. Maybe like Peter, we can say, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And sometimes we're like, Jesus, I just don't know. The summer of 2020, I'm going to keep going back to this. The summer of 2020, more often than not, when I had conversations with individuals in this community, the good, hard wrestling that you were doing with, how am I supposed to trust to God? When I'm not quite sure what to even believe or think about this world around me. Saying all these things, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And yet, death, 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 death. Jesus is the hope for the world. Death, 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 death. Jesus is the prince of peace. Death, 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 death. It can be so risky, it feels like, to be asked the question, but who do you say that I am? For you, when you're behind closed doors, when you're wondering when you're going to get back to work, when you're feeling like relationships are strained, when you just don't have that thing that you used to have. My therapist also has a really beautiful way of helping me reimagine my relationship with God. So about two years ago is when she asked me those two questions that, you know, really got me. But in one of the last times that we met, she asked me, do you believe that Jesus is trustworthy? And I said, yes. And then she asked me, do you trust the whispers of God? And I said, yes. And I began to start thinking about all the times in my life when God has gently nudged me, when God has spoken a word to me, when people have shown up for me at the God-appointed time, When people have said a thing to me in the God-appointed season. When I have been in a place that I did not know that I needed to be in that place, but I got the very thing that I needed. Sometimes when Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? Maybe all we can do is just start with the thing that we can just like, Jesus, I know that you are water from a well, I don't know about the other things but I'm gonna start maybe where I can trust. I'm going to start with where I can trust. So here are my questions for you. Via Jesus. Who did the crowd say that Jesus is? But as you have experienced him, as you have known him, as you have been loved by him, who do you say Christ is for you? Will you pray with me? Jesus, lover of our souls. Jesus, name above all names. Jesus, who is the great I am. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, a God who is with us. There are moments, um, that we can say these things, even if we cannot feel the things. And there are moments, oh God, that we can confess, we say the things and we also are experiencing the things. God, in this moment, for those among us who might be feeling a little bit spiritually disconnected, feeling as though they're fumbling, to bump into you. Might you be a God who is the hound of heaven? Who chooses to bump into us? And for those of us who are feeling so secure in how you've shown up, God, might we declare your name, your power, your mighty deeds to the farthest ends of the earth, or in the quiet when we get away from friends and family members, that we might ponder in our hearts who you have been for us, who you are for us, who you will be for us. God, we thank you and we praise you that you are trustworthy. That falling in love with you is the best thing we could ever do. And that God being loved by you is the best thing there ever is. We offer this prayer in praise and thanksgiving. And all God's people said, Amen.